this morning, Romans chapter number 5, and uh, we are, uh, this is lesson number 50 in our Romans lesson, so we are uh, taking our sweet time to go down through uh, this information, but it's critical information because of uh, the uh, what Paul is doing here in uh, laying out this uh, groundwork in, in, uh, for us, uh, we've come through those first four chapters about the issues of justification and by faith alone and the same righteousness that convicted you of being a sinner is the same righteousness that justifies you. And, uh, and so we've been down through all that. Verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have. And because of the being, because of be who we are, because of we, we are, we therefore being justified, we begin to now learn that we have some benefits. We have uh, peace with God. We have, verse 2, access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But we also, in verse number 5, begin to see that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. So what begins to happen here, then we looked at the issue. So Paul is moving in the doctrine. There's a natural progression here in the edification. He, he, he doesn't, chapter 5, he's laying out the outline. He's dealing with concepts, okay? He's introducing concepts to us. He isn't giving us a lot of details, when he talks about the peace of God and, and then he talks about tribulation, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. There's some things that we are to know. I mean, you think about it. He's got us rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. We're up in the heavens and then he instantly brings us down into the, into the tribulation because they are connected. Because if you understand and you rejoice in your hope, then when tribulation comes up, you're going to know something. You're going to get, you, you, you get a divine perspective about tribulation, about trouble. And when you have the, the, the godly perspective of it, our human nature is to run from trouble <laughs> or to say, you know, what doesn't kill you will build you up or whatever they say. I don't even say it right. So it's because, it, you know, it's just a, you know, if it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger, builds good character, you know. Uh, one time this, this uh, guy, <laughs> I heard him say, uh, you know, uh, it'll, whatever you, some, he was doing something and put hair on your chest, you know, and all this stuff. And it's like, well, you know, maybe I don't want hair on my chest, <laughs> you know, so I'm going to go the other way. But God, the, the divine perspective says, no, wait a minute, we know something about the tribulation. It's going to work for us. It's going to work patience, that comfort of the Holy Spirit working, the Word working in you, that peace under pressure. It's going to work patience in you. It's going to come in, and the Holy Spirit begins to work in you, and He works through the Word, that one source where we get our comfort. Then the patience is going to bring about experience. And here in the, the experience of life, we begin to bring in the life of Christ and let that begin to be the issue. And it's not I, but it's Christ that liveth in me. So the life of Christ. And then we have experience, and experience works hope. And that hope, that, 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 that expectation of that future that anchors our soul, that comes in. We talked about that anchor. 
You know, you drop the anchor over the side of the boat, and what ha- where does it go? It goes down, 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 down. It doesn't, wor- it doesn't have a job. In other words, it's not mechanical. You know, you can throw your anchor over on a short rope, and it don't go very far. It doesn't do anything. But when you get it down there, and then when, when the, yesterday we were out on the Canyon Lake, and, and we're in the little fishing boat, and it was really windy. So, the, so we had white caps on Canyon Lake because of the wind. So what do we do? We go out anyway, you know, motor around a little bit and, and then decide it's too windy and let's go back, <laughs> you know. But the thing is, is what is the anchor going to do? The anchor is going to dig in and it digs deeper. So when we understand that we are a part of God's future program and plan and purpose, when tribulation and trouble comes up, that begins to dig in even more. So then we are, we're safe and secure. Then in verse 5, last week we were looking at the issue there about the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And again, that issue of shed, not poured, which is what the New Bibles say, but shed. And what happens there is when that stuff is shed, it's a part of him. It's a piece of him. When you shed a tear, that's a piece of you being moved. Or, or you, 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 when you sh- so that issue of shed, that's critical because the love of God, here's a piece of God given to you. Then he gives us the Holy Ghost, which is given to you. The gift of the Holy Ghost is given to you. That's going to draw us in now to chapter, verse 6. And again, a natural progression of, of the doctrine here. It's fascinating to me in Romans 5 that Romans 5 bridges from justification to what we're going to learn in 6, 7, 8, especially verse 5, the, the details that are coming in 6, 7, 8 of how we ought to be walking and living life. He, and by the way, he doesn't take 10 years to get there. You're there now. You're justified, and now you're learning this. And in, and in chapter 5 here, he's going to give us the concepts. Chapter 6, 7, and 8, and other, chapter, other books coming, he begins to give in the details. So verse 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one, dare, one die, yet peradventure... For a good man, one would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God... By the death of his son, much more. Being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That's interesting. He's, move, he's bridging. He, we're moving now. And these verses, verse 6 through 10, he, we use these verses in our gospel presentation when we talk to somebody, don't we? We were... You were ungodly, you're without strength, you're a sinner, you're this, you're that. But God committed his love towards you, and now you got, it's, we use that all the time that way. And uh, we do that, and that is a legitimate use of the passage. 
but there's something, I better get my keys out of my pocket or the alarm will start blowing, okay? But there's something deeper in this. There's something, notice in verse 9, much more. See that? Verse 10, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. So there's going to be some much more doctrine that, that Paul's going to give to us here in Romans 5. We're going to get a little deeper. We're going to actually, again, we use this passage 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. We use this passage in the gospel presentation, but this, this is something, Paul, we're in much more territory now. We have, we're just, because, of who, because of being justified, we have, all right, the benefits, but then also there's a much more that's coming our way. So, I mean, it's great to have peace and access and hope. It's great to, it's great to have a patience and experience and all that, but, man, there's something better, much more. That's why Paul will say, in much assurance, with confidence and boldness, much more. It's just one thing to be here, but man, when you get down, it gets to be much more. And when we have this doctrine beginning to work in our inner man, it, we're on the next level of sound doctrine here. I, 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 I tried to, I had to picture this, and it's like a steps going into the house. That first step is usually a little broader, gets you going. There's your justification. Now we're going to much more. Now we're going to the next step. Then we're going to much more. And then we're going to keep much mooring. <laughs> we're just, there's more and more and more to this. And again, using this passage individually in the gospel, it's legitimate. It's not wrong to do that. But there's just so much more going on here. And honestly, we need to relax in who we are. We're to never fear God. His wrath has been taken care of much more. Therefore, being what? Justified. We're to never fear God. We're to never fear his wrath. We're never to fear his anger any longer or his judgment. Why? We are justified. Being who we are, we're justified. So when you begin to get that into your thinking and you rest on that, you relax in that. And what I mean by relax is you quit striving, you quit trying to do. And usually what we try to do is do something. Give me something to do. And God's like, I've done it all for you. I've given you stuff. Knock it off, blockhead. <laughs> you know, I think about, uh, I don't know, you guys ever saw that show, uh, uh, Archie Bunker? Um, all in the family, thank you. And he calls him meathead. You know, I, sometimes I think that's what kind of the Lord had in mind for some of us. Hey, meathead, knock it off. <laughs> you know, just relax in who you are. So what we're going to do now as we begin to move in the verses here is we're going to begin to move to the ramifications of not only being justified, but for having the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. And uh, again, Paul's going to demonstrate, really, the rest of this chapter, how much God loves each of us. 
how much he values us, how much he looks at us and begins to think about and he begins to... Paul just wants you to get, just, boy, grasp this. And again, these are the concepts in 6 and 7 and 8. He's going to fill in some of these details for us. Look at verse 8. Again, he's going to demonstrate how much God loves each of us. You see verse 8, but God commended his love toward us. I walked, you saw me walk off because I had to get my new Bible book out. All right? You see that word commend? The new Bibles say, but God demonstrates his own love. He demonstrates, even the New King James demonstrates. Now let me ask you something. Is commend and demonstrate the same thing? No, they're not. They're actually almost completely different. One, you know they're they're different because of different words. They're different words. They're spelled differently. But when you demonstrate something, what do you do? You show it, don't you? You you come along and you show this. I'm going to show you how this motor works. Is there value in that? There's no value in that. Because if you weren't there, then what did you miss? The demonstration. But when you look at that word commend... When you commend something, you are more than demonstrating it. You are saying, this is something of value that you need. This is something for you to have. Something for you to possess. Now, at at Calvary, did he demonstrate his love at Calvary? Yeah, he did. But there's much more than just him putting it on display. What does he say? He says, hey... I'm commend, I commended it to you. Not only look at how much I love you, look at what I just went through everything for you, but this is something that you need. This is something for you to, it's worthy of you believing it. I commend it to you. It requires your attention. It's worth you possessing this. But God commended his love toward us, and now while we were what? Yet sinners. You want to see the love of God? Look to Calvary. Growing up, my dad always used to say, when anything comes up, take it to Calvary first. Go to Calvary first. Because when you go to Calvary, you really quickly, it lo- whatever the issue is, loses its sting. Because what did he do at Calvary? He paid for everything. He covered everything. But in that dis, in the commending it, look at how much God the Father values you. He personally sent his son to die for us. While we were sinners, while we were ungodly, while we were without strength, while we were his enemy, you look at verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. You weren't even a good guy. You, and yet what did he do? He died for you. And the father is the one that sent his son to do that. 
do, do you see what this? So we're in the much more territory here. And what Paul's demonstrating is God's personal involvement in this, when he, and by the Father. When he says there, but God commended his love toward us, that's God the Father. You want to see the love of the Father, the love of God. I want to have the power of God. Do you know, you know where the power of God sits? Come back to chapter 1 and verse 16. You want to see the power of God? Everybody wants to have the power of God in their life. Look at Romans 1 verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? The power of God. You want to have the power of God? Where are you going to go? You're going to haul everything back to the cross. You want the power of God in your life? Start at Calvary. What did he do? While you were without strength, ungodly, a sinner, you weren't even a righteous guy, you weren't even a good guy. I love that when you go to funerals and, oh, he was, they were a good person. So, it's still appointed unto man once to what? Die. What did God do? He commended. God personally gets involved. Go back to chapter 5. He loved us while we were in a state of enmity. While we were in a state of ungodliness. We were in a state, we're going to see as we go down through here, of such a condition that God had already, had just gave up on you, turned you over, let you go. And yet the Father says, you know, I value, the, I value humanity, so we're going to do this. Notice verse 9, 5, 9. Much more than... Again, what God's love is going to do for all of us? Justify us, verse 1, right? But his, all, his love is also going to do much more than. And that's really what the rest of the chapter 5 is going to be about, is his love abounding to us. His love coming along and saying, You're justified. That a baby. You're in the family much more than. I've got much more than just you getting saved. Okay? So again, what are we going to learn here? In chapter 5, we learn the concepts. We get the, the we don't, we're not going to get all the details. We're going to get concepts here because what's going to happen here in chapter 5 now, starting in verse 6, is Paul is introducing for the first time the concept of rightly dividing the word of truth. And he does it in, his lang- in the language that we're reading here. Again, concepts, no details. We're not in Ephesians 2 yet. Now, we're going to go over there and look a minute. But we're not there. Ephesians 2, the book of Ephesians lays in all of the details about the dispensation of the grace of God. Here's what's going on. Here's, what, here's why he's forming the church, the body of Christ. Remember that on the, the uh, chart down there at the bottom, church, you know, under Romans there, or by Ephesians. Here's the doctrine about the church, the book of Ephesians. Are we in Ephesians yet, spiritually? No, we're still in Romans 5. What are we learning? We're just learning that we're justified. We're rejoicing in the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts. We're rejoicing that he saved us, he justified us. And Paul says, much more. (laughs) Okay, you good? Now get out of the clouds and get back over here because we got work to do. 
and he begins to introduce to us the concepts of right division right here, right off the bat. He does not waiting for Ephesians 2. He's doing it right here. Now, come back to chapter 1, because we've already seen Romans starts with 1-1, doesn't it? <laughs> the answer is yes. Hello, you guys okay? It's just Sunday morning. Come on. Yeah, it starts Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. We spent like four weeks in these two verses, these first verses when we got started, because it's critical to understand Paul's place in God's time, timeline for humanity. It's critical to understand God's dealing with, when God deals with humanity, Paul the apostle has a place in it. And the reason why is because Paul says, I was the first one over there in Timothy. It started with me. I'm the first one in. So we've already kind of seen that. It, I told you, we come through here, Romans. Do you remember what number book Romans is in your scripture? 45. And, it's, and, and the first word is Paul. And what a startling jolt to the system. You've read all these books ahead of him. And then you get over and all of a sudden you read about Paul. And this book is written to the Romans, the arch enemy of, the, of Israel. And it's that jolt. See? Now in chapter 5, again, folks, it's critical to understand the issues of right division and how they are right here at the very beginning. The first four chapters have nothing to do about right division, but have everything to do about right division. Because who's he talking to in the first four chapters? Come, look over there in chapter 3. Just, well, yeah, we'll get there. Look at chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we, that's the Jews, better than they, that's the Gentiles, no and no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. God, <laughs> what, did he just, what did he just prove, the case, in the courtroom? We did that the first four chapters in the courtroom. He just proved that who? All are guilty and all are sinners. He didn't do any time past, but now ages to come. See? He just said what? Everybody's guilty. Now that goes back to Acts 7, and, and we understand. We, it's interesting. I'm studying this, and I'm going, man, but we already understand a lot of this dispensational stuff, but, but we're not there. We're in Romans 5. And in Romans 5, Paul introduces that concept of rightly dividing the word of truth, and he does it in the... Terminal, the language that he uses in chapter 5. Okay? Now, look at verse 6. Romans 5, verse 6. For when, what's that next little word? Two letters. We. Notice it's we, not I. We. Corporate. The group. The church, the body of Christ. Not I. See that? Look there at verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were... See how he uses 
corporate language, big group language. Come over to Galatians 2, a verse we're all familiar with. He's not, Paul is not talking about him individually. He's talking about we, the group, the corporate entity. Galatians 2, verse 20. What's the first word? I. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. There's the individual. There's the person. Okay? Do you follow? So when we use chapter 5, verse 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 in in our gospel presentation, and again, legit to do, because it says, you know, what does Romans 6.23 say? For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Do you know that the context of that verse has nothing to do about justification, and yet we use it all the time when we're giving people the gospel? Because it says what we need to say. The context of 6.23 is the issue of your walk. And if you're walking according to the lust of your flesh, well, the wages of that sin is death. Not death to you spiritually, but death and corruption and condemnation, see? So you got a context. But in chapter 5, what Paul's going to begin to do here in introducing the principles of right division, he's doing it in the language. Because if he said, in time past, in the ages to come, and he says that here in Romans 5, as a new believer, you would have no clue what he's talking about. So look at 5, 6 again. When we, the group, what's the next word? Were. Is that a, what tense is that? Oh, there's past. Isn't that interesting? Verse 9. Much more than being, what? Now. What's now? Keep reading verse 9. Do you see another tense word in that verse? We shall be saved from the wrath. Or delivered. I, I Saved from wrath through him. Isn't that interesting? What do we have? We have time passed. We have but now. And we have the ages to come. He just, here's the concept, getting you familiar with the concept of thinking how? Past, present, and future. See that? He doesn't do it, he can't use these terms. Those are Ephesians 2 terms. Time past, but now, ages to come. Who's, in, who's he talking to in Ephesians? Baby believers? Or mature adults? Hopefully mature adults. Or adults on the way to full maturity. (laughs) Okay? See, he just slides that in there. He's not, again, no, no great details. Just the issues of much more. Much more. By the way, verse 9, when he talks there about we shall be saved from wrath, you have to, I hope you remember, we did the study, seems like years ago because of, you know, COVID. I, I was watching a guy a couple months ago, and he kept saying, B.C., 
And I'm like, B.C., before COVID. <laughs> so back in the B.C., because I'm thinking before Christ, you know. No, before COVID, <laughs> you know. So when you talk, that word salvation and saved does not always mean being saved from the eternal damnation in the lake of fire. The context here is going to be a salvation, again, not justification, but about a very specific wrath that was to come our way as Gentiles. So we've, we've got something going here. We were something, verse 6. But now we are what? Justified. See that? And then out there in the future, we're going to be something else. So we were, we are, and we will be. Okay? And it's right here, sitting in Romans 5, because I've heard people, oh, Paul doesn't get into right division until much later. Nuh-uh, man, he's in it right here. You just got saved, and what's the first thing out of his mouth? Past, present, and future. But what, what we tend to do is we tend to make this an individual, you know, but God committed his love toward me, and he doesn't say that. He said toward us. We. He's talking about the group here. So it's going to be critical to catch here the concept of there's a much more going on here connected with your justification. Look at verse 14. This stuff, look at verse 14. From Adam, nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them which had not sinned, after their similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Do you see that Adam to Moses? Does that sound like a time period? Sounds like a time period to me, doesn't it? Isn't that interesting? He's talking about it right here. Look down at verse, so Adam, there's the book of Genesis, right? Moses, there's Exodus, right? Look at verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more, look at, oh, much more. The grace of God and the gift of grace by, which is by one man, who? You see how we, he just introduced Jesus Christ? There's Matthew through John. What's he doing with you? He's walking you right through the Bible, isn't he? And he's just doing it very simply, very directly. Again, he's just getting the concept, the idea about this issue of rightly dividing the word of truth. By the way, Adam to Moses, you and I as a Gentile, we have no understanding of that time period. We have no clue what he's doing in there. Why? What did he tell us in chapter 1 of Romans? What did God do to you back there? Not to you specifically, to the, to the Gentile. He gave you up, didn't he? He turned you loose. But Paul is going to be about, look at verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them which had not sinned, 
after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the, what, figure of him that was to come. And in the very next verse, he talks about the figure to come, which is who? Jesus Christ. That's what the law was pointing them to drive them to anyway, was to who? To Christ. Come down to verse 20, 520. Moreover, the what? The law. Sorry, Chalk's having an issue today. The law. The Hulk is not doing his job. Nor is Captain America or Iron Man or the Black Widow or the guy with the bow and arrow. I don't know who that was, but anyway, they're not doing their thing. Okay? Look at, look at verse 20. What did he just introduce here? There's a thing about the called the law. Say it again. Say it again, Seth. Who? Hawkeye. There you go. boy. It is. Okay. 520, moreover the law entered, that the offense might abound. See how he, he brings in this law. It entered with Moses. Again, no details about it, just the idea. What, by the way, what do we learn about the law with Mo, in Paul? What did, the, what, what did the law do? We've already seen it in our study in chapter 2, 17 down into chapter 3. What did it do? What's the purpose of the law? The strength of the law is sin. It's to identify sin. It's to say you're guilty. And if the law, verse 20, enters in, that the what? The offense might do what? Abound. Look, verse 14, Adam to Moses' death reigned because there was what? No law. No way to say that your activity is sinful. Moses shows up. The law is given, and the top ten, look at, hey, now that activity is what? Sinful. Again, just the, the concepts. But then the verse keeps going. But where sin abounded, what showed up? Grace abounded more. And there's... The dispensation of grace. Romans to Philemon. There's Paul. It's fascinating. We're in Romans 5. We haven't got to 2 Timothy 2.15. We haven't got to Ephesians chapter 2. We haven't got to Ephesians 3 where the dispensation of grace has been given to me, to you. Or none of that. And what is he doing with you? He's just walked you right down through your Bible. Okay, you guys bump on a log. No, man, this is fantastic. So what are we doing here? We're becoming familiar with concepts, aren't we? As babes in Christ, and I'm not saying you're babes, but just where we're at in the book of Romans, what are we learning? Basic concepts of right, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we're familiar with the concepts. Because what's going to come in chapter 6, 7, and 8, and in future writings is what? All these details. Just filling in all these going, huh? You, know, you think about the law and grace, and then think about the whole book of Galatians. And what it does with that fight of law and grace. What it do, look at chapter 11 of Romans. Romans 11, verse 6. Romans 11, verse 6. 
And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more. You see how, that, now that's a lot of detail in there, why one is being replaced by the other, but there's also details that these two are what? Oil and water. They are completely different. So then when you get over here and you start trying to say, well, we need to follow Jesus and we need to do that. And, and, and then, yeah, but we're going to get saved by Paul's gospel, which is how, it's what's what they tell you. If you pay attention to mainline Christianity, you're saved by faith in the cross work of Christ. Then they go mix you in with this stuff because they want to make sure everybody's WWJD in it, you know, what would Jesus do and make sure everybody's good. Rather than WWPD, what would Paul tell you to do? Okay, they do. And Paul's sitting here, Romans 5, go back to Romans 5. And he's like, guys, it's right here. So when we, you, again, I think this third time I've said this because it's the third time in my notes. When we use Romans 5, 6 to 10 in the Gospels, it's, again, it's good because it says what we need to say. But there's much more going on here there's a much more to it there's a there there is this application there's a dispensational application that's happening here verse 9 much more than being now justified by his blood we have we shall be saved from wrath through him now you think about this wrath, verse 10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. When you think about verse 9 and think about dispensationally this thing about wrath, we have to recognize where we are on the timeline that God has for humanity. And this thing about wrath, you're saved from the wrath two ways. One, through him, verse 9. Verse 10, the second way you're saved by, from the wrath is by his life, the end of verse 10. So God has fixed it so that in no way Will the members of the church, the body of Christ, ever go through, ever see, ever stick a little pinky toe into the 70th week of Daniel? It'll never happen. Okay? All right? So when you hear the guys flapping their gums because Biden's the new president, and blah, 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 end of the world, apocalypse. Did that happen, by the way? The sun came up. You know, I know they've got lawsuits, you got all this stuff, and... You know, January, whatever it is, 20th or whatever, they swear him in. It'll be what it is. But what happened? Did you quit breathing this morning? <laughs> I got a hurting this morning. I don't I, you know, gloom, despair, and agony. <laughs> you know, the pain. Life just, what did life do? It just kept going, you know. But see, the thing is here is when you think about this wrath, think about your predicament as a Gentile. Now, your predicament here has been settled. You're on your way to heaven. But as an unsaved, lost Gentile, when God intervened on our behalf dispensationally, all right, Paul, called to be an apostle, separated unto, 
Why? So that all the world so that all the world would hear and by faith come. Romans 16, 26, the end of that verse. And you think about that. Think about verse 6 now. Thinking about the wrath, think, you know, much more, much more than being justified. Man, that's pretty good. There's what? We're saved from what? The wrath. Through him, verse 10, through his life. Look at, look at your predicament, verse 6. You are what? For, for when we were yet without strength, we had been completely abandoned and turned over to the satanic activity of the day. Ephesians 2 says, You were the children of disobedience. You are the children of wrath. You were the children of wrath. <laughs> Chapter 1, what's he going to do to you? When you think about dispensationally the predicament of the Gentiles, there's a historical application. There's a moral, spiritual application, and there's a legal application to it. Look back at chapter 1 of Romans. We've seen these as we've gone through this. You're without strength. You've been, you've been abandoned to be consumed in the lake of fire. His wrath, historically, it was ready to be poured out, Acts 7. Stephen sees him standing. Historically, what's he ready to do? Pour it out on it, man. Just end this now. Burn this sucker to a fairly well. Be done with it. He was coming back hot and heavy. It's time. That's the timeline. Now, we understand that he interrupted that, and praise the Lord he did, and for, that he extended grace out, you know, as long as he has, his long-suffering. And we thank the Lord for that. You should be thanking the Lord. I had a guy tell me one time, he goes, I just thank the Lord I got up breathing this morning. I'm like, I'm thanking the Lord for another day of grace, man. Forget the breathing part. Just thank you for grace. Because he doesn't have to. He could end it, boom. And actually, Paul thought it was going to be ended in his life. He had no idea, no concept of it being extended. Look at 121. Historically, we're without strength. Historically, 121. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain. When did, they, when did the Gentiles know God? See, that's always the question. When did they know God? Well, we're back in Genesis 10, Genesis 11, aren't we? The Tower of Babel. Come off the flood, and there we are. Historically, we're back there. Verse 23. What did they do? They changed the glory of God. They went in and deglorified God. By doing that, they deglorified themselves. That's what verse 24 is going to talk about, dishonoring their bodies and so forth. But look at verse, the front part of verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them what? Up. Historically, the Tower of Babel, what did God do to the Gentiles? Three strikes and you're out. Verse 24 gave you up. Verse 26, he gave them up. Verse 28, he gave them over to a reprobate mind. You know what he did? Hook, line, and sinker, spirit, soul, and body, Gentile, man is gone. What did he do in Genesis 12? He reached over into the Gentiles, pulled out a guy named Abraham, Abram, and he said, you're my guy now, and I'm going to make you my nation and you my people, and then off he goes. But what did he do to the rest of them historically? Gave them up. You are without strength. Historically, 
chapter 2, Romans, verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for when, wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. No moral claim. You, got no, you can't say, I'm more righteous than the other guy. You don't have a leg to stand on is right. You're guilty. Chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 14. For when the law, for when the Gentiles which have not the law. Was the law given to you and I as Gentiles? No. We have no legal claim. You know what we are? We are without strength. We have no legal claim. We have no, historically, we have no claim on God or anything, his benefits given to anyone. We have no moral claim, and we have no legal claim. What are you? You're without strength. You're in trouble. Your predicament as a Gentile is trouble. The Gentiles, we leave here today, we go down to the restaurant or wherever you can go and eat. You bump, bump into unsaved people all the time, don't you? What's their predicament? Without strength. Ungodly. Sinners. They're in trouble, aren't they? They're doomed. But you being justified, see, much more. Something more going on than just that dispensationally. Now, you got chapter 5, run over to Ephesians 2. Now, we're not in Ephesians 2 growth-wise, but I want to show you something here when we begin to kind of balance this stuff out on Paul using the uh, chapter 5 to... So, by the way, the wrath, that's what we were started talking about. We'll say more about it as we get down into this. But the wrath of God, Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is standing before the, San, the council, he calls them uncircumcised in hearts and ears. You know what he called them? He called them heathen. He made them heathen is what he did. But when he did that, what, what then became their predicament? the unbelieving Jew, the same predicament as the Gentile without strength. Because when you look at that issue of uncircumcised, for a Jew, that was the dagger to the heart. Because in Genesis 17, if you weren't circumcised, you were cut off from the land. You're on the wrong side of that middle wall of partition. You were not my people, he says. Genesis 17 there. So when... So when Stephen sees the Lord standing ready to come back, he's going to pour out what? Wrath, 70th week of Daniel stuff. And Paul says, because you're justified, because the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts, because you got the comforting work of the Holy Spirit in your life, because you got the life of Christ to live, because you've got this future hope out there, you will never, ever, 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 ever go through wrath. It's not, it's, not on, it's not on your docket. It's not on your calendar. That belongs to the ungodly, the heathen. Now, you got Ephesians 2. We can do this quickly, I hope. Ephesians 2, verse 11 and 12. I, again, maturity-wise, we're still in Romans 5. I just want you to notice a comparison here. 
Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time, so back in time past, when the name calling is going on, you were, ye were what? Oh, I don't have room. Without who? Without Christ. Romans 5, verse 6, Paul says, We were yet without strength. See that? So, without strength is to be without Christ. Okay? Being, uh, Ephesians 2.12, being what? Aliens from the commonwealth. Aliens. Think about what an alien is. It's not a little green Martian guy. A, an alien is somebody that's, that's in, a, in a situation, in a country that is not their country. They are not a part of what God's doing. If you are an alien, you're not a part of what's going on. Now, 5-6. You were without strength in due time Christ died for the Who? Ungodly. You know what? Be, uh, you Ungodly, you be an alien. Because if you're ungodly, you are not a part of what God's doing. <laughs> you're ungodly. That's why he does the stuff in chapter 2 about the moralizing guy, the guy who thinks his works are going to get him there. That's why Paul will say God's not a respecter of persons. Your work's going to get you where it's going to get you, which is in judgment. See, You're ungodly, alien. Chapter 5, verse 8. But God committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet, what? Sinners. Chapter 2, verse number 12 of Ephesians. And what? Strangers. There's your sinner of 5, 8. Stranger. Verse 12. Strangers from the covenants and promise, having what? No hope. Chapter 5, verse 10, when we were enemies, there's what? If you're his enemy, there's what? There's no hope. Isn't that interesting? 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, it's got the same information as Ephesians 2, 11, and 12. Just different terminology, just different language. Because you would never be on, if you're in Ephesians 2, and you're still a baby and belong in Romans 5, you will never understand what an alien is or strangers from the covenants of promise. You don't understand any of that terminology, the language, because you haven't been through Romans 9, 10, and 11 yet. You belong in Romans 5. Because in Romans 9, 10, and 11, you go read Romans 9, the first five, chapter, first five verses, he explains Ephesians 2, 12 to you. But what do we do? Man, we run to Ephesians... Because we're justified, we go back to Romans 5. So we stop in Romans 5, verse number 5, because we like what all that says. And then we run to Ephesians 2 and we skip over all of the details that we need to understand truly what is going on in Ephesians 2. And Paul's like, don't do that. Let's go through this this way. <laughs> now, by the way, we do jump around like that. There ain't nothing wrong with it. You're learning. You're getting. You're doing. Okay? But the thing of it, the thing of it is, 
That's okay. That's all right. We used to, years ago, when we were on baseline, when the cell phones went off, we made people get up and do a little cell phone dance. But uh, that was when a room was a lot smaller, numerically, too. All right, back to Romans 5. Much more then. So in verse 6 to 10, we have a dispensational viewpoint. Because he, Paul is, in the progression of the revelation, the progression of, your, of the edification process, not revelation, but the edification process, isn't to just dwell on being justified. That's wonderful, don't get me wrong. But there's so much more, much more then, that we need to move into. Now go back to chapter 5. We're going to do one thing here, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in what? Isn't that a wonderful dispensational phrase? Due time. Think about that. Jesus Christ is standing, Acts 7, to return to pour out his wrath. Have you ever dropped something off the table? And just in the nick of time, you catch it with your foot so it doesn't shatter. Yeah. No, you don't do that. You just let it bounce. <laughs> or you reach down there and you grab it. You know, you knock something off. Hey, we were out with the boat yesterday, and I, I knocked something, and I was like, <laughs> catch that before it goes overboard, because when it goes overboard, it's gone. You know, right? Think about that. With Paul, Acts 7, he's standing to come back in wrath. And in due time, in the nick of time, what did God do? He appeared to Paul not to pour out his wrath, but to pour out his long-suffering and his mercy. In the nick of time, at the very moment, Jesus Christ did something to advert the pouring out of his wrath. That's why Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 2, look over there, 1 Timothy 2, verse number 4, Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the, unto the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will there, see, right in the nick of time, Christ did something. He interrupted the wrath. He interrupted the prophetic program where it was designed to pour out the wrath. He interrupted a situation, he made the scenario where he could reach over and save Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. That's why their fall is Acts 7. Israel's fall is Acts 7, not Acts 9. He had to ha it had to happen in 7 so that God could do what? Change the program so he could reach over and get Saul of Tarsus. Because Saul had violated the un only unpardonable sin in Israel's history up to that time, which was the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 13 over there. He did what? In the, nick of time, in the due time. Now that we're justified, we are to learn about our much more. Not just, I mean, don't get me wrong, man, justification's great. <laughs> you know, 
and learning about the benefits of peace and access and hope and understanding how to look at tribulation and have a different viewpoint. But man, there is so much more. And you think about this stuff. It, it's good, but there is something much more. Verse 20, Romans 5, Moreover the law entered, that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. God's grace, folks, is the only answer to a humanity that had no strength, to a humanity that's ungodly, to a humanity that is without Christ, enemies, no hope, without God, destitute for wrath. What does man do to that message? Reject it. They scoff at it. They just thumb their noses at it. They do the Bronx cheer at it, you know. And yet, there he is, the only one to answer their predicament. And Paul says, you got it. Now let's get the much more. You follow what's going on? So there's a, again, use 610 till the ink wears off the page. But know that there's something much more going on in there than just talking. He's not talking about you individually. He's talking about you corporately. We were, us, we, we. Not I, I, I. Catch what's going on there, okay? All right, we'll pick up, we'll say a little more in verse 10 next time, get down in verse 11. We'll, be, we'll have to camp in verse 11 a couple weeks. Uh, we'll do some next week, and then we'll have the Bible conference because of that issue of, of atonement there, and they like to say that that word should be reconciled, and we'll talk about why that should say atonement and not reconcile, okay? By the way, atonement, at one meant. That's what, you know what that means? That's what the word means, at one meant. Atonement means at one, at one with. And who are we at one with? Christ, with God. So anyway, all right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the insight here into the chapter. And Lord, I just pray that we would have a much more mentality about things to come. In your name we pray, amen. All right.